Hi, this is Megan here, and welcome back to another episode of Dark Habits, where we take a look at our queer ancestors for Aquarius season, of which we are now in. Before we go into talking about our notable Aquarius, Pamela Coleman-Smith, I'm going to talk a bit about Aquarian sun signs. Aquarians are a perceptive, perceptive cerebral bunch who are able to verbalize their well-developed ideas with conviction. Modalities tell us what each sign's job is, and Aquarius is a fixed sign which stabilizes the existing season. Fixed zodiac signs are Aquarius, Scorpio, Taurus, and Leo. These signs are the dynamos of the zodiac, whose stamina towards moving ideas from beginning to completion is formidable. Fixed signs have the endurance to see things through, which is aided by focus and the mindset that they can accomplish anything they set their mind to. Being a fixed air sign, Sun in Aquarius focuses energy on intellectual pursuits. Like air, Aquarians resist being shaped and are impossible to pin down. Aquarius Sun personalities have the reputation for being able to comprehend and innovate fixed systems in order to find ways of making things work for one and all. Aquarius's symbol is the water bearer who pours out their liquid offering for everyone to share. In Aquarius, the sun shines light on our goals and visions. Intellectually discerning Aquarius reserves excitement until a situation can be thoroughly evaluated first. Approaching situations with logic allows Aquarians to cut through the emotional baggage that can cloud a situation in order to get to the root of the problem. The tarot card for Aquarius is the star. Number 17 of the Major Arcana depicts the figure of a person who is bent at the knee beside a pool of water. They hold a container of water in each hand. The left one represents the subconscious, the right the conscious. The person pours water on the earth to nourish the land and the other into the pond. If we look closely, we can observe that the, that the water poured on the earth is emptying from tiny rivulets into the pond, creating a bridge from the subconscious to the conscious mind. Upright. This card represents belief, conviction, ambition, rebirth, and otherworldliness. Reversed, it reflects nihilism, melancholy, mal malignant self-assurance, and detachment from reality as well as delusion. A thriving Aquarius approaches situations with clarity, 
seeks out ways to expand and repurpose outdated modes and is in touch with the flow of energy that facilitates in getting things done. A blocked Aquarius, on the other hand, uses ways in which they have previously been burned to turn inward and bitter. This can result in them being so detached from reality and caught up in false narratives that they end up repressing harsh truths which need to be faced. They can become so caught up in these false narratives that they become convinced that they are correct, establishing a harmful self-assuredness that can be used to justify low vibrational actions and thoughts. As Aquarius is ruled by Uranus, the planet which rules over individuality, change, revolution, innovation, originality, and expanded consciousness, it's a no-brainer that these sun signs think outside the box and are drawn towards seeking out new ways of thinking. Aquarius has an expansive approach towards exploring the intangible and metaphysical, as well as diverse modes of spirituality. Uranus supports Aquarius's non-traditional visionary attributes. This results in visionaries who get stuff done. Aquarians tend to require positive reinforcement in order to thrive. If they lack that sense of acknowledgement for too long, they can become disinterested and bored. These cerebral souls also require quality alone time to absorb themselves in contemplation as well as to recharge their batteries. At times, Aquarians can come off as aloof when in reality they're just caught up in their own way of engaging with the world. Even though they can read as a bit cool, removed, and tough nuts to crack, they should not be misunderstood. These sun signs have a tender heart with an intense need for human connection. Authenticity drives Aquarius, and they don't like wasting time on small talk. They're more in their comfort zone when they are thinking about how to help humanity, while at times not always engaging with it, unless it's in the form of sincere human connection, which usually means one-to-one -one or in limited crowd settings with a few tight friends they can solve the problems of the world with. Aquarians lose their essence when they cannot express themselves. They shine when they are able to construct equity-forward systems of exchange. Aquarius suns move in their own way, and often that way is against the grain in a natural approach that differs from the crowd. They are often the sharpest in the room, but their cultivated sense of brevity can at times distort their intentions. Aquarians can have a cynical side, and this cynicism sometimes surpasses the emotional when they apply logic to every situation. This approach can come across as unfeeling or overly stoic to others. Logic distanced from emotional intelligence only ever results in half-truths to a situation. Emotions tell half the tale. Often, emotional intelligence is written off, a mistake that greatly underestimates its importance. It's essential that Aquarians acknowledge the brilliance found in the emotional landscape 
that often leads us to understand the verity of a situation which the logical approach may pass over. It's important for water bearers to take time to wade into emotional waters and apply their findings to the physical world. Even fabulous celestial extraterrestrials need to take a moment to ground from time to time. Building a bridge between matters of the heart and the head will result in met goals that care for emotional as well as physical needs. Aquarians' deep respect for systems, logic, and boundaries color their approach to problem-solving. They are concerned about cultivating a reputation for thoughtful perspective, certainty, and clarity. It's essential to them to exemplify fearlessness when bearing witness to injustice or giving power to truth. They come bearing universal creative intelligence, and it behooves us to listen to what they have to say. Aquarius season bestows blessings of progressive approaches to problem solving, ushering affirming energy into our lives. Aquarius suns give their unique panache to everything they do. The passionate water bearer of the zodiac is a force of nature. This can be taken literally as well. Ruling planet Uranus is believed to control natural disasters. Aquarius season calls for us to let our creative side run wild. Now is time to give space to our endeavors and room for our voices to be heard. This time of year is prime for allowing ourselves the freedom to be undeniably who we want to be, and conversely, who we are. By letting our freak flags fly now, we might find that it feels pretty good to keep it up beyond Aquarius season. And now, without further ado, we will go into our conversation of our notable Aquarius sun sign, Pamela Coleman-Smith. Welcome back to Dark Habits. This is Megan here. And Ryan. And we are here to talk about our notable queer Aquarius Pamela Coleman-Smith. But before we do, how's it going, Ryan? I'm good. Um, Woke up a little early this morning because my brain turned on at five o'clock. So I've been up and cooking beans. (laughs) Beans! Yeah. Magical fruit. It's a a great thing to cook all day for dinner. It really is. Yes. I mean, that's like way more motivated than I could ever be at 5 a.m. <laughs> and I'm really impressed that that's what you did at 5 a.m. What I usually do is stare into the void, uh, which is usually our, my black cat, Kasima staring into my eyes obsessively because she has no chill factor. Yeah. And then maybe I smoke a joint. So... That's way more productive at 5 a.m. than I could ever, ever be. So I'm really... Yeah, my anxiety doesn't let me stare into the, the void that is Hetty. Plus, Hetty, our black cat, does not actually um, really stare into us. That's not one of her one of her habits, so... Yeah, I've noticed that with her. I know I have a really obsessive void who is a little stalker. <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah. call her void, we call her Vanta Black, because... <laughs> because <laughs> you just can't see her she's like the blackest thing in the world. 
oh, Hetty. When I was there, she would steal all of my stuff and come down in her with it in her little mouth, and then she would go on the ground in the living room. I'm like, I wish that she would have taken a joint and been walking around the house with a joint, but I don't think that happened. <laughs> with it just casually dangling from her bottom lip. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> She's like, well, she can't smoke it. She's not allowed. She's not old enough yet. She's not 18. No, no, there are rules. There are rules. Responsible parents. What can I say? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk here about the benefits and, you know, the repercussions of smoking weed. <laughs> we have to have that conversation with her long before she can start. Yeah, yeah. That's what progressive parenting looks like. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like we need to do it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are actually talking about a, a person who was born this very day. So oh. today birthday. So it's quite a coincidence, actually, because it was totally unplanned. Yeah, Friday, February 16th. Or That's just February 16th, but probably not on a Friday, but... Yeah, whatever day it was, she was born. (laughs) So we are talking about Pamela Coleman Smith, who created the what we know today is the standard tarot deck that is used um, really that is um, who that's really the um, the standard tarot deck that's used throughout the Western world, the most standard one. And she is quite an interesting person. This person absolutely sounds up your alley. Queer. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to tell me about Aquarius because you know I'm not good at the astrology signs. And tarot is something that I know is really important to you. So I'm excited that that's all kind of, that's kind of overlaps some of your, um, your main interests or absolutely. That, you know, your identities. Definitely. She, I mean, she, she hits all the boxes. So she was born in central London on February 16th, 1878. And from a very early age, her nickname was Pixie. Just so cute. And also another thing that coincides with me is that she was an only child oh yeah we're just hitting every box yeah so her father was charles edward smith and he was a merchant from brooklyn new york before it was an incorporated part of new york city and he was the son of the i think it was the first mayor of brooklyn whose name was cyrus porter smith and her mom was named Corrine Coleman. And the family lived in Manchester in England uh, during Pamela's childhood before moving to Jamaica after uh, Pixie's father got a job with the West India Improvement Company, which sounds, you know, totally colonial and shitty. It was yeah. a fact. <laughs> <laughs> It was a financial syndicate involved in extending the Jamaican railroad system. Whatever that means. Yeah. During this time, the Smiths lived in Kingston, Jamaica, traveling back and forth to London and New York City. 
By the time she was 15, she'd moved to Brooklyn, where she enrolled in the newly opened Pratt Institute, which had only opened six years prior. And she studied art, and her early work demonstrate fin de siècle symbolism, as well as the romanticism of the arts and crafts movement, which we've talked about before. Yeah, you said, there's a word I didn't know, fin de siècle. Fin de siècle, yeah. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah, it means turn of the century in in French. Okay, Okay. oh, it's Francy. It's Franchy. It's one of them Franchy words. Yeah, one of those Franchy words. Yeah. Great, thank you. No problem. And um, so while Pixie was at Pratt, her mom died in 1896, and... Pixie was also struggling with her health during the same time and left Pratt in 1897 without completing her degree. But despite the setback, she managed to establish herself as an illustrator. And a few of her projects were the illustrated verses of William Butler Yeats, who she's a really good friend of. A book about the actress Dame Ellen Terry by Bram Stoker of Dracula fame. And she was also very good friends with him, as well as her as two of her own works, Widdicombe Fair and Fair Vanity, which surprisingly is about the magazine Vanity Fair. <laughs> um, Pixie's father died in 1899 leaving her an orphan at 21. And that year she returned to London, being taken in by the Lyceum Theatre Group, led by Ellen Terry, who I just mentioned, who bestowed her actually with the nickname Pixie. So that's where she got it from. So not from the very beginning, but she got it from Ellen Terry. And she would be known as Pixie for the rest of her life by her friends. Um, Henry Irving and Bram Stoker were also part of the group, and Pixie traveled around the country with them, working on stage design and costumes, which totally sounds amazing and magical. In 1901, she set up a studio in London where she held a weekly open house for actors, artists, and others involved in the arts. And with these weekly events, she established herself as a prominent figure in the bohemian scene of London at the turn of the century. Through her friend William Butler Yeats, Pixie discovered the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, becoming a member herself in 1901. I am so excited right now, and I have to just say this, to talk about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. It has been one of my niche obsessions for like 20 years, and I'm obsessed with the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. I'll probably talk about it a lot more someday, Uh, but this will be the first time on Dark Habits that you will hear me obsess about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, so buckle the fuck up. Are you going to give us a little overview of what it is before we get into it, or we're just going to go go for the jugular? Oh, oh, you bet there will be an overview. <laughs> okay, great, great. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of shit with this, okay? okay great. Uh, so, at the turn of the century, 
mystical secret societies were wildly popular within North American and European Bohemian circles. One of the most prolific and well-known was the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Members included the likes of Constance Wilde, Oscar Wilde's wife, Irish revolutionary Maud Gaughan, and uh, occultist Alistair Crowley. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was devoted to metaphysics, as well as the study and practice of occult hermeticism. Hermeticism is a philosophical and religious system based on the alleged teaching of Hermes, buckle up again because I'm going to fucking butcher this name, Trismegistus, a a Hellenistic conflation of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Toth. Um, You froze for a second when you were saying that name. Do you want to repeat the name? I know it's a hard one to get out. (laughs) Oh, shit. Okay. So the name is um, Hermes Trismegistus. Okay, great. Thank you. Rolls off the tongue. And he, and this is a Hellenistic configuration of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Toth. Aleister Crowley would eventually part with the order, going on to create his own Toth tarot deck. But Crowley wasn't the only one to spring from the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn to take on, to go on to make his own tarot deck. Uh, This involvement in the secret society would prove to be the catalyst for Pixie to begin her most well-known and longest-lasting work designing the standard tarot deck of which most are based. Through the Golden Dawn, she met A.E. Waite, scholarly mystic and poet, whose writing on the esoteric and occult would lay the groundwork for the creation of the tarot deck that would become that would come to be known then as the Rider Waite tarot deck. One thing that also characterized secret societies of the time was the drama. <laughs> Eventually, the Golden Dawn fractured due to a multitude of personality conflicts, the biggest drama queen of all being Aleister fucking Crowley. Yeah, I was like, I I was wondering if Aleister Crowley was going to be part of this whole story, because he's the person I know like, in association with like early tarot, and I know that he was complicated. Oh, that bitch was hella complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like a fucking bad penny. That asshole always turns up. So both Pixie and Wait went on to a new group called, this is a name, the Independent and Rectified Right of the Golden Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> This is before people were looking for five-letter URLs. <laughs> totally. They were like, they were like, my organization is going to be a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to get a diploma just to say the name. <laughs> it was also known as the Holy Order of the Golden Dawn. <laughs> 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 pretty much the same 
fucking name. So yeah. How many three different names for this one thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is why learning history is hard. It really <laughs> is. Jesus Christ. Especially in this day and age, because it was people were so extra at the turn of the century. I mean, let's look back at the at the turn of our the last century. People were extra. I mean, look at all those, you know, those lowrider jeans and shit and all that sequence. It's just an extra time. White eyeshadow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Toner used as lipstick. Absolutely. I want, I want my beautiful pink lips to be the same color as my skin. <laughs> I just want to look like Laura Palmer in the first episode of Twin Peaks. <laughs> Everyone should have been wearing plastic shrouds. <laughs> it was chic. It was chic. Yeah, it was chic. It was flower curtain chic. Instead, we wore American flag hot pants because of 9-11. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, True Americanism. Mm. <laughs> Pixie published two books about Jamaican folklore Anansi Anansi Stories, 1899, and Chim Chim, Folk Stories from Jamaica in 1905. She also worked on illustration projects for the poet William Butler Yeats and his brother Jack, as well as illustrated Bram Stoker's final novel, The Lair of the White Worm, uh, that came out in 1911, and Ellen Terry's book about Diaghilev's Ballet Russe, the Russian ballet, in 1913. And she was a proud suffragette and contributed artwork to further the cause of the of women's right to vote through the Suffrage Atelier, a collective of professional illustrators. In addition to this, she donated her talents for toys and poster designs to the Red Cross during the First World War. So she was really involved in a lot of stuff. That's a really um, impressive range of um, noteworthy causes. I mean, like books, causes, like they're, they're things we know about today. Mm-hmm. Like they are all things that sound really familiar. So that's, that's really impressive. Yeah, it is. She was super prolific and also a very enthusiastic person who had a really fun, lighthearted approach to life. So she was really happy to be involved in all kinds of stuff that was important to her. Uh, she she launched her own magazine called The Green Sheaf in 1903, and contributors included John Todd Hunter, Christopher St. John, uh, which her, her actual name was Christabel Marshall, Yates, Cecil French, Gordon Craig, the son of Ellen Terry, A.E., George William Russell, and more. The Green Sheaf only lasted for a bit over a year and encompassed a total of 13 issues, which that's a lot. Yeah, that's prolific. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Especially considering she was using a printing press. Yeah. I don't want to know what that production calendar looked like. (laughs) That stresses me out. It totally stresses me out, too. Yeah. (laughs) After the disappointing outcome of the short-lived magazine, Pixie pivoted towards 
setting up a short press. And the Green Sheaf Press was established in 1904, operating until about 1906. And during its operation, it published fairy tales, novels, folk tales, and poems by predominantly women writers. And she was very much a strong feminist. Alfred Stieglitz, Georgia O'Keeffe's husband, held an exhibition of Smith's paintings in his New York Little Galleries of the Photo Secession, which is was also called known as Gallery 291. I think we studied that way back in the day in art history. <laughs> and Smith's was the first non-photographic collection to be shown at Gallery 291, which was typically a photographic avant-garde space. And the exhibition featured work inspired by visions she had listening to music. These were synesthetic, meaning that senses are blended. Uh, Pixie was able to see music. She had synesthesia. And the visions she experienced were translated into paintings. Stieglitz went on to hold exhibitions of her work two more times in 1908 and 1909. In addition to this, with the success of her shows, he released a platinum print portfolio of 22 paintings, and a few of her pieces that didn't manage to sell are now housed permanently in the Stieglitz Georgia O'Keeffe Archive at Yale. In 1909, Arthur Edward Wade approached Pixie to illustrate the tarot deck he had been working on. So Arthur Edward Wade is the guy who she met when she, when she joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and all of its other names. The 78 cards of the Wade Smith tarot deck represent archetypal subjects that each become a portal to an invisible realm of signs and symbols believed to be channeled through processes of divination. In many ways, due to the unique stylization, composition, and draftsmanship, they are the penultimate expression of Smith's imagination with ecstasy, fantasy, folly, death, and the macabre. Not only that, they are a work of significant aesthetic achievement, and have become some of, the, some of the most recognizable metaphysical touchstones in Western occultism, as well as in society and pop culture. You literally see tarot references to this deck everywhere. Even if you're not into tarot or anything, you see it all the time. Yeah, I'm actually just looking at her illustrations right now because I, I wasn't familiar with her illustrations. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it, it's absolutely a, I mean, I recognize them like hands down. There's no question that I know what these look, know what these look like and have seen these decks and kind of just never wondered who made them. Like I feel yeah. like it's like that ubiquitous, you know, which is not necessarily the greatest thing for me as somebody who cares about art and cares about the people who design things. Um, but I just have never really thought about it, but yeah, ubiquitous images. Mm hmm. But that's and I don't think you should feel bad about that, because I think that's really the case for most people with it. Mm -hmm. It's just become so much a part of our world that we just are like, that's the tarot. Mm -hmm. 
and that's really it, it actually it, it really says a lot about her influence mm-hmm. so, and I think yeah, it shows actually absolutely. a lot of success as an artist and over a long period of time too definitely you know, for this to be 130-ish years later and to still be like oh yeah of course I have seen that of course I've seen um, other artists references as they're drawing images that are supposed to reference tarot but they're like new content of course I've you know, I think there's a whole queer tarot deck that kind of borrows the illustration style um, that I've seen. And it's, yeah, it's super ubiquitous and, like, shows a lot of success. Mm-hmm. As an illustrator, it's, like, I mean, the pinnacle of what illustrators try to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. So as is the custom for a collaboration of this nature, Wait was one half of the design team who came up with the overall concepts, symbolic system, and structure of the individual cards. As Waite himself wasn't an artist, he sought out Pixie to create the visual element of the deck. From what is known, Smith most likely worked off of Waite's verbal and written instructions instead from, uh, from sketches, And since she was a commercial illustrator, this was a working process she was most likely very familiar with. In general, Waite provided detailed instructions, mainly for the major arcana. So let's get into some terminology about tarot. In tarot, the major arcana are the named and or numbered cards that are usually 22 of the standard 78 card pack. They're usually numbered from 0 to 21, similarly to regular playing cards of which they originated from. In tarot, the major arcana represents universal human experiences, such as falling in love, challenging authority, and dealing with challenging situations in life. Smith was provided with simple lists of symbolism for the minor arcana. So the minor arcana, also known as the pip cards, and sometimes known as the lesser arcana, are the suit or the suit the suit card the sweet cards. Suit cards, sweet cards, I don't know. I think it's sweet, but I don't know. I may be saying this wrong. Oh well. I think I always put suit, but I think that's just because I think about like our fifty-two card playing deck. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, so I, I have no idea, but suit suit is how I've heard it. And That's what we're, we're going to go with suit. Okay. <laughs> um. So, again, like standard card decks, there are four suits of ten numbered one, which is the ace, to ten, accompanied by four court or face cards. While so that would be like the knight the queen, the king, the page. While the major arcana deals with major life events, the minor arcana gives insight into our day-to-day existence. The four suits are typically cups, which deal with emotions and matters of the heart, pentacles, which address the material world, and pentacles also are known sometimes as coins. And the body, and and so the pentacles also, so they address the material world, the body, and possessions. 
Then there are the wands, which are demonstrative of willpower and creative energy, and the swords, which govern our words and how we use them, reason, intellect, and wisdom. Each suit corresponds with an element, cups with water, pentacles or coins with earth, wands with fire, and swords with air. As Waite gave Smith general outlines, she had more freedom to create the pips from her own interpretations. One of the key things that set the Smith-Waite deck apart from previous tarot decks up to that point is the innovative approach of Smith. Before the Waite-Smith deck, the pip cards were quite simple in terms of imagery and resembled basic playing cards, with the standard suits such as the diamonds, hearts, clubs, and spades. Smith's groundbreaking work with the minor arcana, which is which are rich in symbolism and imagery, set the precedent for how tarot cards have been illustrated ever since. And most tarot decks today are, as you mentioned earlier, explicitly referential to the imagery Smith created for this deck. Most tarot decks today that you will find are directly referencing from this tarot deck. For example, you have the Golden Girls tarot deck, one of the best, mm-hmm. and I think one of the best to learn from, if not from the original itself. And you will see all of the same imagery, the same key elements echoed in those. So really, I mean, it's not all not all tarot decks are modeled specifically after the Ryder Smith or sorry, the Waite Smith tarot, but a lot of them are, if if not the majority. And I and this is a question for you, I because I know you um, are always learning tarot. It's a thing that's been a, a passion of yours for a long time. When you are learning about how to do tarot, I'm, I'm certain there's a book you reference for like what all the cards mean, and that and those books generally are supposed to work for pretty much any deck. That's correct. Assuming, assuming they're within the the Wade Smith um, uh, hierarchy or mm-hmm. framework. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Smith was also a pioneer in the aesthetic appearance of the of the characters featured in the tarot. Her approach set the precedent for how we read tarot today. This is a direct quote from from Pamela Coleman Smith. Note the dress, the type of face. See if you can trace the character in the face. Note the pose. First, watch the simple forms of joy, of fear, of sorrow. Look at the position taken by the whole body. After you have found how to tell a simple story, Put in more details, learn from everything, see everything, and above all, feel everything. Find eyes within, look for the door into the unknown country. She wrote in Should the Art Student Think, (laughs) published in The Craftsman in July 1908, (laughs) which is still something we're struggling with today. Should we think? I don't know. That's a hard question. It's a real I hard mean, question. Especially for Americans. Get <laughs> mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. At In the design department at the University of Kansas, that answer is no. <laughs> but 
they're not artists. They're designers. Yeah. Harsh line between the two of them at that university. Mm-hmm. Smith and Waite were inspired by a number of different sources while in the process of creating the deck's designs. Waite was mainly inspired by the French Tarot of Marseille, which dates from the 16th century. Smith was particularly inspired by the 15th century Italian Solabusca Tarot. Many of the figures in the deck are portraits of the creative characters from her friend group, such as actresses Florence Farr in The World and Ellen Terry as the Queen of Wands. So she worked her friends into this. It only took Pixie six months, from April to October 1909, to complete her illustrations for the deck, which is amazing. Yeah, especially because she was working in partnership with somebody. Like, that back and forth had to be a really um, uh, good creative collaboration. Yes. You know, it's like they were able to, like, align on the idea. He trusted her with the illustrations, like... That's, that doesn't always happen in creative collaborations. Definitely not. <laughs> and so the illustrations for the deck would all in total come to about 80 pictures, which includes miscellaneous illustrations, not part of the 78 making up the deck itself. Upon finishing the project, Pixie wrote to her friend Alfred Stieglitz, I've just finished a big job for very little cash. Which is like, girl, yeah, that's art. That's, that's being an artist for you. Some things don't change. Right. The mediums she worked with were mostly pen and ink over pencil underdrawing. As far as color, they were either done by Smith herself or someone hired afterwards. So they were black and white. The tarot deck was first published by Sprague and Company, then by Ryder and Son in 1909, called simply Tarot Cards. It cost six shillings, or in my, because, you know, I'm a mathematician, um, in my thoroughly um, well-researched summation, is like .00006 pennies in 2024 money. And was the first mass market tarot deck. And it was the deck that began, that began the wide popularity of tarot. It was sold along with Arthur Edward Waite's guide, The Key to the Tarot. And the next year, Waite added Smith's black and white drawings to the book, which was published as the pictorial key to the tarot. When U.S. Games bought the rights to the deck in 1971, they published it under the name as the Ryder Tarot Deck. Due to differences between U.K. and U.S. copyright law, the extent of their copyright in the Waite-Smith deck has been disputed. The name was changed in later editions to Ryder Tarot and Ryder Waite Tarot, completely erasing Pamela Coleman-Smith from her own work. Only in recent times have tarot writer, writers and the wider public has Pamela Colbin Smith's contribution been recognized. 
now being referred to rightfully so as the Waite Smith Tarot or the abbreviated RWS for Ryder Waite Smith. Despite her groundbreaking work in the tarot deck and her illustration projects, she never truly achieved commercial success after her early success with Stieglitz and the publication of the tarot deck. She received little to no royalties and barely any money from the sales of the tarot deck. This was very different for Waite, who was able to achieve fame and reap financial rewards from the success of the deck. Despite various attempts made throughout her life to make money, every attempt came up short. Even though she was, as we have seen, a prolific visual artist, not much of her work can be accessed today. The American Sherlock Holmes actor William Gillette, her cousin, collected many of her gouache works which can be seen displayed today at his castle in Connecticut, because if America has castles, they're in fucking Connecticut. <laughs> I, I bet it's a really boring castle. I'm just going to put that out there. I mean, it's in <laughs> Connecticut. No shit, Connecticut. Yeah. Just kidding. Pixie converted to Roman Catholicism in 1911, and after the end of World War One, she received uh, she received a sizable inheritance from an uncle. It's around this time that Pixie met spiritualist Nora Lake, the woman who would be with her until the end of her life. While nothing out of there has official has definitively confirmed Pixie's sexuality, it has been widely considered that Nora was her lover, at the very least, her life partner. What, what is clear is that in her lifetime, Pixie was never linked romantically with a man, spent her time mostly in the company of women and gay men, many of whom were lesbian, and many of the women were lesbian or bisexual. As is often the case, tracing specifically lesbian history requires much reading between the lines, as is the case for her. Yeah, definitely distinctive roommate vibes. Oh, for sure. We're going to get to the roommate thing again. Don't you worry. Yeah, yeah we know this is coming up. <laughs> this is such a part of lesbian history. Yes, it is. The inheritance gave her the means to buy a house. on. <laughs> I love the name of this place. It's called the Lizard Peninsula <laughs> in Cornwall. Okay. <laughs> And if you remember my stepmother, Terry, Cornwall was where she lived. Oh, okay. That is the part of the UK where people talk like pirates. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the UK because of the pirate talk. Yeah. And she moved there in 19, permanently in 1918. It was and still is a popular area for artists. And by all accounts, Pixie felt right at home there. As Pixie was someone in love with spirituality and adventure, she urged her friends to also join the Catholic Church, declaring it such fun! <laughs> Which I think is the first and only time anyone has ever said that. 
about the Catholic Church. Oh, my <laughs> God. Really? Um, unless, you know, whatever. I'm not going to go there. While this con- conversion summons the idea now of conforming and disavowing her pagan beliefs, at the time, this was considered far the opposite. Catholic- Back then, Catholics were an oppressed minority in the UK, and Catholicism was largely associated with its pagan undertones and its florid pomp and circumstance, which further stayed on brand for Pixie's eccentric ways, because she loved beads and fancy fabric and candles and all kind of hoot and nanny. So it was like definitely her style. And she was like, oh, yes, Catholicism, bring it. And she set up a holiday home for Catholic priests in a neighboring house, allowing her to generate income. And Nora joined her in Cornwall and assisted in running the vacation home with her, which I think would be the best TV show ever. Like, lesbian occultists who become Catholic and operate a holiday home for priests. Yeah, I I can see it. I, can I, would, <laughs> I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah, move over Downton Abbey. <laughs> yeah, it would be so much more fun. It's such fun. It's such fun. I love it. I love robes. So, from Fool's Journey, the fascinating life of Pamela Coleman-Smith, she certainly did share her household in the later years with a Mrs. Nora Lake, to whom she left her entire estate. But, as Kay Frank Jensen points out, but at that time, it was not unusual that two single women lived together to support each other and share expenses without it necessarily indicating lesbianism. Yes, one of her best friends was Edith Craig, who was a lesbian, a butch lesbian. Yes, her circle of friends did encompass many men and women who were homosexuals. Yes, she was eccentric. Yes, she did design feminist political posters during her activity in the women's suffrage movement. And finally, yes, she did never marry. Any possible intimate relationships of hers remain equally unknown. So, you know, that's there's that meme out there about allegedly queer people who lived with their very closest bestest friend for their entire life who were you know really good friends according to (laughs) straight historians (laughs) for a reason but all is speculation dot 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 I mean, there is the whole thing today in today's world of don't assume anyone's identity unless they verbally tell you, which I love. But that is a lot of things that lead me to say that she would safely in today's world be able to say 
and fucking dyke. I mean, you know, I have a pretty good gaydar, especially a dyke dar. <laughs> and this is like a dyke dar from beyond the grave that is setting you out. You saw it in your tarot. I saw it in my fucking tarot spread this Absolutely. morning. No, every day you're like, oh man, Pixie's telling Pixie tell me again that she's a lesbian. I was trying to figure out what I should be doing with my life, but sure, Pixie's a lesbian. Great. <laughs> 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 and yes, it is very true that back back in the day, women didn't have any rights when it came to property or whatever, or security financially if they didn't if they weren't married. So yeah, that is true, and, and I'm sure that there were many women who did that who were not necessarily gay or realized they were gay, but with. All the stuff surrounding Pamela Coleman Smith's life. I, in my humble opinion, think that she would have been a Katie Lang fan. (laughs) But what do I know? Unfortunately, due to years of financial hardship, Smith left the, as it's referred to, the lizard which I love, and moved first to Exeter in 1939, then to the seaside town of Bude or Buda, I don't know, names for British towns are fucked, in northern Cornwall in the early 40s. All this time, she'd continued to write and, and illustrate, yet was never able to find publishers for her work. Tastes had changed after the First World War, and her work was seen as outdated. Shortly after the end of World War II, Pamela Coleman Smith passed away of heart failure on September 18, 1951, in her apartment at Ben Coolen House in Bude. She left her entire estate to Lake, and all of her possessions ended up being auctioned off to pay her debts, which were enormous. We don't even know where she's buried as she was buried in an unmarked grave in St. Michael's Cemetery in Bude, or Buddha. The occupation listed on her death certificate state reads, Spinster of Independent Means, which I want printed on my goddamn gravestone. (laughs) Even though a decade earlier she had been recognized by the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, manufacturers and commerce she was not listed as an artist this rather sad obscure ending is so often the case for female creators while male creators are often celebrated even if they died in poverty people such as oscar wilde's graves have become pilgrimage sites while people like pamela coleman smith have all but been dusted from the earth This is why we lift up lives like hers. Her presence lives on in our cultural atmosphere. Even if you're not interested in the tarot, you have definitely seen Pamela Coleman Smith's work regarding it. It has been reproduced in countless publications, photos, and advertising. Her work and her life matter immensely 
she created the map of modern Western esotericism. And that's the story of Pixie Pamela Coleman-Smith. Man, I'm just so bummed out that she got the short end of the stick as a woman and the short end of the stick as an artist. Like, I think when you started telling the story early on, um, I was definitely like, oh, great. She's going to get recognized for her artwork. Those are both things that, like, she created and she worked on and she deserves recognition for her. Mm-hmm. But why why should I be surprised? <laughs> You know, it's horrible that I'm thinking that, but it's like, why should I be surprised that she, that a man got recognition for the work that she had created and that mm-hmm. she would even get it as part of her legacy when she died? Yeah. And I'd just like to say, fuck wait. Absolutely. I mean, here I was being like, wow, they collaborated so well together. Like, he must have been really good to work with. And now I'm like, fuck that dude. Yeah. And not in a good way. Not in a fun way. Yeah, not not like fun like the Catholic Church way. No, because the Catholic Church is the fun way. Yeah, that's the fun way. <laughs> oh. Okay, I'm gonna back up from that. <laughs> I'm not gonna go down that path. Yeah. <laughs> but she had a great time with it, so good for her. Yeah. 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 What a, I mean, like what a um I don't know. Sadly, predictable turn of events that mm-hmm. happen because like artists aren't recognized enough for how hard it is to become a good artist and for people to love your work and to do commercial work. Like commercial work is really difficult, especially when it's coming from a place of your passion. Mm-hmm. Like those are huge accomplishments for any artist. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm I'm so glad that she's being recognized for it now, but still that that kind of adage we have today of like follow the money. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, like she's being recognized for it, but is there an estate? Is there like, it doesn't seem like she probably has family that is benefiting from all of that. It's like, follow the money. It's still going back to Wait and Wait's family. Yeah. Assuming he has he has a family and he has progeny. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, also, you know, it, it. well, now I think everything just goes to U.S. games because that's what, yeah. who owns the company. But, yeah, it would be interesting to know if there are anyone who are still financially benefiting from that. But I guess it's hard to say when it's such a long time ago because things become yeah. sort of public domain. Too. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. But it is like with her, it's it just really pisses me off to hear this. Well, and especially as somebody who is a woman, who is an illustrator, who is interested in the occult, who reads tarot, mm-hmm. like, there are just a lot of things about the two of your identities that overlap. And you, you have a roommate you've been living with for, like, eight, 20 years, something like that? It'll be our 20th, meet since we met, it'll be our 20th anniversary in April, April oh 2nd. Congratulations for having a 20-year roommate, or 20-year Meeting your roommate 20 years ago. I know. We've been such good roommates for the last 20 years. It's amazing, oh, really. So, so impressive. But yeah, the, so the two of you just have a lot of... Each other. What's that? We can just live with each other, you know? Yeah, we can just live with each other. <laughs> you know, it's about taking responsibility for the chores, you know, vacuuming, taking out the trash... <laughs> all of those things that matter for roommates absolutely 
separating the cat chores, those, you know, six to 14 cats, they, there's a lot of chores <laughs> that come along with that. <laughs> All those shit boxes. <laughs> yeah, but, but you and Pixie just have so much in common with your identity, like, that that really just resonates for me, knowing as lo- knowing you as long as I've known you. That mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, like, ha- I know that Megan is actually um, reincarnated from a gay man, but Pixie could almost be <laughs> one of uh, Megan's spiritual advisors from the past. I would, you know, I'd be happy to say that. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> she also, I would also probably find bizarre fun in Catholicism too. <laughs> uh, next time we see each other in real life, we should go to the Catholic church and just have gale fun. Such <laughs> fun. We need to open crowns and velvet robes. <laughs> she loves beads. Yeah. She loves me for some beads. Uh, I, I think like it's like Mardi Gras. It would be just like Mardi Gras. We should invite Paws. <laughs> we should invite... Um, who else should we invite? Luke. Oh, my God. I've got this new friend named Daniel who's from the UK who is a... Um, a, a total queen and I love him for it and we should invite him because he would dance the house down <laughs> oh hell yeah was he the guy yeah. who you asked about the Oscar Wilde cruising park yeah <laughs> <laughs> again there's so much like you know look at all the coincidences going on right now absolutely yeah he and I are going pole dancing tomorrow and so um I feel like I, I want to give him like booty shorts and a, a velvet robe that has like the black and white Dalmatian fur around the neck and a bunch of necklaces and a crown and do some spinning on that pole. <laughs> oh yeah, make your money. <laughs> make it rain. <laughs> yeah, that's the that I mean, I think it would be great. I think we would be fully accepted by the Catholic Church. They would have zero problems with us being there. Like, where's the wine? I was told there'd be wine. I mean, they have fucking wine. They have crackers and shit, too, don't they? (laughs) So fun. (laughs) Whenever I hear about Catholic stuff, I just get confused. (laughs) Like, I already get confused by, by the boring Christian kind. Like, what are they? Protestant? I can never keep all of those straight. <laughs> they get really yeah, That's one thing. And I mean, I'm already confused by that crap. And then, but with Catholicism, I'm like, at least your church is pretty, okay? I'll give you yeah. that. Yeah. I, with the thing I was confused about Catholics, and maybe this is why Catholicism is fun, but it's like, I thought that Jesus is all about minimalism. <laughs> that's not what they called it in the Bible, but I'm going to call it minimalism. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, according to the Catholics, he was all about maximalism. Yeah, the Catholics are absolutely the most maximalist people on the earth. I mean, and they've like, got a lot really of swag. Like, what's that? They've got a lot of swag. It's amazing. And you walk in and you're like, they hire, I mean, and nobody gets credit for it, but they hire artists to do like those incredible paintings, incredible stained glass, and incredible ceilings. And like, I mean, that I guess that stuff is fun. It is. <laughs> Unless you're going to Catholic. Yeah, going to church is fun. Just everything else around it is kind of fun. Right? I get so excited when I go to, like, to a Catholic church and see all the all the bling and stuff. 
And Elise just gets pissed off. <laughs> it's a waste. It's a waste. <laughs> but I, I'm into it. I love all that crap. And it, 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 is, it is beautiful. And now I want to, like, revive Roman Catholicism through a queer lens and boots the house down on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Saint Pixie all the way. Absolutely. Absolutely Saint Pixie. I mean, can you, she sounded also, like, the ending is so sad and everything, but I think she had the best fucking life ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's she sounds really fun. <laughs> yeah, she sounds, I mean, she sounds like someone we would have been friends with. Oh, hell yeah. yeah totally. Yeah, she was great. She was so lively and apparently had a wickedly good sense of humor. It was just a spitfire. I mean, she was obviously super productive. So she was probably just doing creative stuff all the time. And she had all these like the salons and stuff. And, you know, she was super um, sociable, very big social butterfly. She was a blast. Yeah, let's um, let's resurrect her and have like a, <laughs> a dance party. I would have a dance party that would be such fun in the Catholic Church with Pixie, because it, it would be awesome. There would be so much, so many beads. Yeah, I mean, you're the witch. You're you got to figure out how to how to resurrect her ghosts to, or we could go we could go to um lizard lizard. <laughs> What's that? You mean the lizard? Yeah, yeah. The lizard, which I kept on hearing you say, the lizard. Well, like, the lizard. <laughs> yeah, we should just go there. Like, she probably has, you know, ghosts there. Like, she probably left some, like, bits and pieces that you can use your Wicca and resurrect her. Yeah, fuck yes. Wicca, Wicca, whack. <laughs> I'm not like, Come on, we're going to go have fun. Let's Wicca, bring Wicca, a ghost. Wicca, I had to. Yeah, but, but yeah, I think the best way to really remember her is to just, you know, say her name and give her the credit as much as possible. And that's what we're doing now. And it's only super recently that people really have been talking about Pamela Coleman Smith. I would say only in the last 15 years have has have more people really been saying, look, put her name on the goddamn deck. Yeah. Well, and before we started recording this, I'm going to share the story because I think it is relevant. Like, Megan always brings new culture and new people to me. That's part of what she does. And we're on the call, and I looked up, and I was like, why does their screen say their name is Pamela Coleman Smith? (laughs) Megan was like, that's who we're talking about today. I was like, oh. Yeah, I mean, I this is my first time hearing her name and processing it. And like learning about her. So like this is as always, thank you, Megan, for um teaching me something new and sharing something with me that I should have already known. But you know, that's what you do. That's that's Megan's like special skill. Oh, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And I'm and it's also, you know, puts tarot in context too. Mm-hmm. Because you know, we all know what tarot cards are and we all have our own ideas about what it is to, to do, to play with tarot cards and um, you know, but to know the history behind it, as well as the fact that it is 
queer history is to mm-hmm. me really important. And yeah. also some of the most um the most well-respected names in tarot are w- queer women. Like Pamela Coleman Smith and another person who just passed away Rachel Pollock, who also I would say is kind of the modern day, uh, the 20th century anyway, um, expert, penultimate expert on tarot. Uh, Rachel Pollock was a trans woman who also created the first trans superhero in a comic book. And she wrote 78 Degrees of Wisdom, and it's kind of the book about tarot to read and um you know it tarot is inherently queer in my opinion yeah um is she going to be part of your series of queer astrological signs oh hell yes okay great i'm looking i'm not going to read anything about her i'm going to wait to wait for megan to teach me because that's what she does that's what they do that's what they do (laughs) thanks so much yeah, well, I've got to go. I've got to. I've got some. I got to get back to my beans. Okay, go check gotta, gotta check on them beans. I know. I don't want to burn my beans. I've been working on. Don't burn your beans. Don't burn the beans. That would not be such fun. <laughs> not like Catholic. <laughs> All right, love you, Megan. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Sources used in today's episode are Ronald Decker, Michael Dummett, A History of the Occult Tarot, Cynthia Giles, The Tarot, History, Mystery, and Lore, Pamela Coleman-Smith, The Untold Story by Stuart R. Kaplan, Fool's Journey, The Fascinating Life of Pamela Coleman-Smith from Autostraddle by Beth Maiden, Modernism and the Feminine Voice, O'Keefe and the Women of the Stieglitz Circle by Kathleen Pine, Reviving a Forgotten Artist of the Occult from Hyperallergic by Sharmista Ray, The Divine Mystery of Pamela Coleman Smith. Oh, my pandas, my panda cat is having her walkie talkie moment. Let's all observe for a second. She does this every night at 11. She's the town crier. Listen to that. Listen to her go. She's summoning the spirit of Pamela Coleman Smith as we speak. And if I could get a word in, but beyond the panda meows, the divine mystery of Pamela Coleman Smith from Enchanted Living Magazine by Michelle T. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and for following us. Have a good night. You can reach Dark Habits at Dark Habits Mag, that's M-A-G, at gmail.com. You can visit our website at darkhabits.net. And you can visit us also on social media at Dark Habits on Facebook, at Dark Habits Mag, again, that's all one word, M-A-G, on Instagram, 
and that you can listen to our podcast on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to shout out to us, like, follow, and subscribe. Thanks again. Thank you.